Welcome to Allegrativity Powercast with Allegra Sinclair. Are you ready to punch fear in the face, show up, and tell your story? Stay tuned for tools to get you unstuck and resources to help you develop your story so you can share it with the world. Here is your host, Allegra Sinclair. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Powercast. This is your host, Allegra Sinclair, and I am super excited this week because we have an amazing guest who's going to talk about one of my favorite things, which is punching something in the throat. But in addition to being an amazing warrior, she also happens to be my sister-in-law. So be good to her (laughs) or else. So So without further ado, let me introduce you to Kelly Spikes. Hi, Kelly. Hey. Pretend that we're not related and tell my audience a little bit about you. Okay. Um, well, my name is Kelly, and I'm 44 years old. No, that's not true. I'm 45. I just had a birthday last week. You don't uh, have to tell, you know. <laughs> all right. I'm 37. <laughs> I think age is a fluid thing, don't you? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I have two beautiful daughters. They are um, 24 and 19, and um, I live in Phoenix, and... I am a breast cancer survivor. Um, I got diagnosed almost three years ago, and I went on a heck of a journey. It was a serious ride, and um, I'm a firm believer in God, and um, I walk a spiritual path. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for close to 29 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, wow. That was another another journey I went on with drug and alcohol. Um, I'm actually uh, divorced and um, have been single for a long time now and um, am learning just to find my, my own comfort with, uh, with God. And I have an amazing support group. I have an amazing mother and I have amazing children. And uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. That's awesome. It's so funny, right? Um, cause we are related, but I didn't know it was 29 years. It seems like I blinked in time. Just flew by. That's an amazing story oh, yeah. in and of itself. Um, we'll have to come to that. We'll have to come back to that one on another episode, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you did tell us and it is October. So it's breast cancer awareness month. So, um, I knew when you were going through the battle, and it's weird, we were talking before we started doing the show about how we kind of love and hate Facebook, right, for the same reasons. But I do remember finding out about the uh, diagnosis and journey on Facebook and then following that. So, I mean, for those reasons, um, Facebook is always going to be special to me, right, one of those things, because I just remember watching um, – you are always a strong person in my estimation, but you just stepped into this whole different space uh, when you got the diagnosis. And it seemed like from the outside looking in that there was never that moment where you were like, oh, what was me? Is that so? Tell us how you felt when you first got diagnosed. When I first got diagnosed, my first feeling um, was terror um, and, and tremendous amount of fear. And I really... My doctor, I had a mammogram because I had a mass. I'm a huge firm believer in self-expressed self-examinations. And so I had found a mass um, and my breast had started to change shape and it had to start to dimple a little bit. So I went and had a mammogram. Um, and uh, when they diagnosed me, my radio, I had had a biopsy and the radiologist called me on the phone to tell me this information. And... They gave you your diagnosis uh-huh. over the phone? Yeah. 
And so my first... Was that... I'm sorry. Wait, was that an accident? Or is no, that how they do I, it? I'm not really sure. I think I probably told him it was okay to do this. Um, he asked wow. me if he could give me the diagnosis over the phone. And I said, oh, sure. No big deal. And um, I was convinced that it was just calcifications in my breast. <laughs> and... Uh, it was just, I was shocked. And so my first thought was to, I wanted to rip my breast off of my chest and throw it on the ground and step on it. And, um, that was my first thought. And then my second thought was, I mean, I remember the day, like it was yesterday, like my second thought was I'm going to die and I'm going to leave my children without a mother. And then I broke down into tears in the middle of work because I was at work. And, um, I went into a huge, huge place of fear and um, I surrounded myself with um, people that I knew loved me. That's what I was going to ask. So I think um, none of us are stunned, right, that your first thought was fear. I loved, hear my heart, I didn't love it. I um, really sparked to the truth and the authenticity of what you were saying when you were like, my first thing was terror, yes. not fear, right, terror, which is like a whole different level of it. Um, it really took me into that moment. Not that I can pretend to feel that, but um, that you felt terror first. And then you thought, hey, I'm going to leave my babies without a mom. So yeah. what moved you from that terror place? It took a little while to get out of that place. Um, a lot of processing and a lot of prayer and a lot of um, getting more information as to what I was going to do. Action took me out of it more of like, okay, what's the next step? Talking to doctors, talking to the professionals of what is my future going to look like? What will I do? The testing. Um, so a lot of it was physical stuff, uh, knowing what I was looking at. I mean, the first doctor just simply said, you have breast cancer. So I had no idea as to what my staging was. If I had, did you even know that there were stages? Um, only because of what I had seen, like, on TV. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'd seen on TV there were stages of, of cancer. And then I went, oh, my gosh, I know nothing. And then, I mean, because I knew nothing. So, naive, you know, my naivety was really, I think, even a scarier place, a scary place as well. Because I didn't know anything. Because, and I think... Um we do this as humans in the absence of information, our imagination takes over <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. and our imagination can take us places that life never, ever will. <laughs> so, so true. Yes. So true. I was convinced that night that I went home, like I knew I was diagnosed. The doctor talked to me. I called my mom, of course, and I called my girlfriends and my, and I told my, I told Michaela, my oldest daughter, and I wasn't ready to tell my youngest daughter. Um, she was, She's 19 now, so she was she was 16 then, and she's she just I wasn't ready to tell her yet. But I went home that night, and I was sure I was not going to live that night. That I was going to die in my sleep. If I went to sleep, I wasn't going to live. Wow. Because I wasn't I wasn't sure. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just I didn't know. And you're right on that humanness. It just takes over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in the absence of information, you have, your mind has to fill that space. So it starts making stuff yes. up. How did you start right. getting information? Cause I think um, I heard a couple of things. So you absolutely felt the terror at first. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
what am I going to do? Like, I'll leave my babies. Hey, maybe this night my life will be required. If I go to sleep, it's over. But you moved from there to a very different place. I call it a sassier place. (laughs) So it sounded like you did a couple of things, right? So it sounded like what helped you kind of punch that fear in the throat was information and then action. Both, absolutely, both places. Okay. Information and action, huge. Um, I got on the internet a few times and I started reading about breast cancer and I was like, you know, this isn't really a good idea um, because it was a little bit too overwhelming and too scary because, again, I didn't know anything about what I had going on inside of Your me. particulars. Uh, right. Okay. So it wasn't a good set. It wasn't good for me to not know, to read something unknown, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Um, so the right, the doctor that had diagnosed me, he, he had set me up with another doctor. Um, so I went and met with him and he had this whole game plan planned out for me. And, uh, and I didn't like his game. Plan. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting here looking at my hands going, wait, he created a plan without talking to you first. I would know better than that. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't like his idea at all. And, um, he wanted to do a lumpectomy, which is just removing the tumor okay. out of my breast and doing radiation. And I said, well, what about doing a, a mastectomy? and removing my entire breast because I, I can't do this again. I cannot go through this emotional upheaval that I'm in right now ever again. I can't go through it ever again because the process was so, it was very long and drawn out that I had a mammogram and then, you know, I had, it was a week later and then I had an ultrasound and then it was another week later until I had the biopsy. So it was all in between these. And then it was another three days later before I had the, uh, results of that. So it was a, that just that in and of itself was a long drawn out process. The whole thing was emotional. And, um, so just to get to this doctor to tell me, he just wants to take this tumor out of my breast. I said, you know, I don't really like your idea. And he said, uh, well, my idea is the best. This was a general surgeon. Radiologist had sent my reports over to my OBGYN who called me on a Saturday night at eight o'clock PM, which was a God thing. Okay. And he said, I want you to go see, I just got your reports and I'm very sorry about your diagnosis. And I want you to go see an amazing breast surgeon. I, I rec, you know, this guy is fantastic. He's one of the top docs in Phoenix. And I want you to go see him. And I said, okay. And I'd already seen this other surgeon who I didn't like. So I went to see this other doctor. His name was Dr. Donahue. And I walked in and I saw this doctor. He's an older man he's in his later 60s. And I started crying the minute I saw this doctor. Why? And I said, I don't know. He touched my heart. Um, he just, he had this like calmness and peace about him. And I said, you're it. You're my doctor. Yeah. You were like, yeah, give me that. Oh yeah. And he, and he hugged me and he said, I'm so sorry. You have to be in my office. And so he had had my reports and my, all my stuff. And before he even looked at my body, we sat in his office and we talked and we talked about options and, um, and we just talked about a lot of stuff. And and then he took me into actually be seen to be physically seen. And he did an, an ultrasound. He wanted to do another ultrasound on my breast. And he said, did you know you have two tumors in your breast? So they hadn't told you anything? Nothing. And I said, you're kidding me. He said, one of the tumors is super close to your, well, he didn't say super, but (laughs) 
<laughs> Doctors can use simple words like super. That's true. One of the clo- one of the tumors is really close to your chest wall, and um, I'm a little concerned about that. Well, of course, then I went into another freak out, and I started crying, and um, so then I had to go in for an MR an MRI of my breasts, and then a PET scan because he wanted to make sure none of the um, that the uh, cancer hadn't metastasized into my bones or any of my uh, organs. We found out then it had metastasized into uh, my lymph nodes. Okay. And uh, So again, the first doctor, first of all, he was just talking lumpectomy, but you didn't at that point even know that there were two tumors involved, and he hadn't yeah. kind of. And I'll give him a little bit of a coupon that he wasn't a breast specialist, and the second he person was. was. However, um, the second doctor took the time to really figure out what all the different um, implications were and forgot what was really going on. So then you definitely had more information and then together you came up with your action plan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So after I had more testing, um, he said that he wanted to do a mastectomy on my left breast, which had the cancer in it. And, uh, and he said he was really sorry that, I was going to lose my breasts. And I, at that point I just said, I don't, I'm okay with that. And I don't want my breasts any longer. And, and so it took me a little while, but I did more research and I, I asked him um, if he could do both of them, if he would metastasize or not, you know, if he would take a both, double both of them, mm-hmm. a double mastectomy because I couldn't, there was no way I could do all this again because the chances of it coming back in my other breast, there was a chance that they it would. And Is I, it a good chance? Now, I know you're not a doctor, so you're not practicing medicine without a license. Um, so I'm just asking opinion-wise, if you've had breast cancer in one breast, is there a higher likelihood that you'll get it in the other one? I've heard both. I've heard, yes, there is. A doctor said um, 50% chance it will come back. You know, it, but some doctors say it will, some doctors say it won't, some say it's a, you know. For peace of mind, I absolutely understand your Correct. decision, right? Because now we see celebrities, not just Angelina, but there have been others who have said, hey, I don't have cancer yet, but I know that it's like in my body waiting. So, hey, let's just right. cut this, let's nip this in the bud right up front, <laughs> right? So I do get exactly. that. Okay. Plus then they would match. <laughs> You crack me up. <laughs> it would match. See, there's that sassy part that I saw on Facebook. <laughs> the other part, I didn't see so much, but this sassy part about them matching, yeah. absolutely yeah. saw that. One, I didn't want going to my belly button while the other one was sitting straight Girl, up. Oh, bye. I swear, if you had told me when I was younger <laughs> that I would be spending like 80 bucks on a bra just to keep them up where they're supposed to be, I would have told you. Isn't that the truth? Oh, my goodness. It's like the older you get, the more you have to spend on a bra. Not that I was that. ever buying like $10 bras because, you know, the women in my family are bountiful. But I yes. just certainly didn't realize that, you know, every year it's like additional 10 bucks onto the bra, <laughs> you know, to get the proper support and foundation right. to keep them where I would like them. <laughs> I used to laugh at comedians like Joan Rivers who made jokes about their boobs sitting on their belly or their yes. boobs hitting their knees. Now, as I get older, kind of not so funny. <laughs> it's not so funny. It's not, I, know. So, I know. I have an odd... I just wanted a job, but I didn't know this is where we Hello. <laughs> I um, had an odd question as I was preparing for this conversation. So, okay. um, 
And we're going to talk in just a moment about some of the other things that you're doing to continue to like um, punch uh, fear in the throat and to support others. But I had this mm-hmm. weird thought. So now that you've come out on the other side of it, yes, you're on the other side of it. Are you um, yes. cancer free? Yes. I knew that. That's why I could ask it out loud. Yay. So yeah. now, <laughs> now that you have come out of it and you're on the other side, does anything scare you anymore? Not really. No. I mean, I get little fears. Like I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago and I rode a bike across the Golden Gate Bridge. That kind of scared me. Was there traffic but, on there? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got hit by a car when I was five. So I had some kind of some old PTSD come up and, uh, yeah, it kind of scared me, but nothing like, um, no, nothing really scares me anymore. I mean, not like I'm superwoman and I can take the world on, although I can't take the world on. Um, I love that. Do you see how quickly you went from not like I'm superwoman to talking like superwoman in that tense, <laughs> in that two second period of time? Yeah. I love that. I think when fear comes up for me, I've learned because of this experience, I've learned how to go. Um, okay, what's this about? What am I going to do about it? And really, really, Kelly? Okay. No. <laughs> and I work through, I walk through it way differently than I've ever walked through any kind of fear before. Fear used to paralyze me and now it just really has no place in my Isn't life. Isn't that anymore. crazy? I mean, nobody yeah. would say to themselves, Hey, I want to go through something like that where I'm just terrified for my very life. Nobody would sign up for that necessarily, but no. there is that weird, I'm going to call it gift that's coming out of that in that you now approach things which would cripple, right? Things that would knock other women to their knees. You're doing exactly what you did with your breast cancer. You're saying, okay, what is this really, right? So you're gathering information. And then you're making decisions, which always feels powerful. And then you're taking action based on that. I mean, you might have learned that lesson some other way, but what a testament and what a story that is for other people who could be paralyzed by the simplest of things. Right. Yeah. And I was paralyzed by the simplest of things before fear wise. And, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think that cancer certainly, um, changed my whole outlook and upon life, which is why I'm always calling you my little warrior because now I'm like, <laughs> you are like this sassy, um, I don't know what it would take to stop you. I don't think there is anything. And I love that. I mean, I certainly didn't love the struggle and, um, the three year struggle. Cause that's the other thing I think, um, not just with cancer, but with anything. So suppose I had a fear of public speaking or suppose I'm being paid half of what I should be paid on my job. And I'm just petrified to address that with mm-hmm. my boss, whatever the fear mm-hmm. is. I think half of us doesn't want to deal with it. Right. Because we're paralyzed the way you just said it. Right. The other half oh. of us, just wants it to be over with. So fine. If I really have right. to deal with it, then I want to deal with it in like 30 seconds and then not have to think about right. it ever again. And mm-hmm. in my life experience, that hasn't been how it has worked. <laughs> right. So at yeah. what point in your journey, or maybe it was happening all along. So tell me what made you willing, especially if you were coming from this place where you said there were lots of fears that paralyzed you. What made you decide to start telling your story? Um, one, I think mostly because there's so many women that are affected with breast cancer uh, or fear. 
too, I love to talk about myself. <laughs> Did you always love to talk about yourself? Um, no. See, there's another gift. Yeah. It's like the subtitle yeah. of this might have to be something about the gifts that you got from your three-year battle with cancer. Now you love talking yeah. about yourself. <laughs> You got a boob job. <laughs> You're not afraid of anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's just, uh, there's so much fear involved in, in cancer. And, and not only in that, but in, it's like we're talking now, just in walking through whatever that fear might be. I mean, I too had the fear or I had the fear of public speaking and now you I did. I and, Oh my gosh, terrifying. So three years ago, you wouldn't have been talking to me right now on this show? I'd be talking to you because I can't see you. I mean, I can't see, we have to not say that. Um, I, I talk to you because you're my family and that's, the, I might have talked, it's different. Oh, okay. Because I care you and I love you. But if it was someone I didn't know or if it was a group of people, it'd be very different. Wow. So tell me this, did anybody discourage you from telling your story or from making decisions for yourself, either related to your health and cancer or since then? Because you've made it very clear that these new behaviors that enabled you to successfully fight cancer are now part of your life. So was that adjustment difficult for anybody around you? Anybody try to hush you? No, I mean, a few people um, were not understanding of what I was going through. And because of that, they kind of went away. Um, when I was going through chemo, I was very sick. Um, and I had a few girlfriends call me and say, why aren't you calling me? And I'm like, <laughs> why aren't you I, calling me? I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm not calling you. I'm like why struggling to lift my head off the pillow. But what <laughs> I should have done <laughs> was yeah, call you and ask you. you how you were doing. Right. Because, you know. You know, I, I went through, I had 16 rounds of chemo and, um, wow. yeah, and I lost all my hair as you saw the pictures and I lost my hair and, um, I dropped about 35 pounds and, um, I have since gained all those 35 pounds back, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and I was very, very, very sick, you know, to the, you know, I was a shade of green most days and, um. And yeah, I lost a few friends through that because they weren't understanding of why I wasn't paying attention to them. And, um, and at first I got really mad. And then I was like, you know what? I, I'm not here to serve you and not saying that they're here to serve me because they're not at the same time. I was surrounded by people that were, I had meals brought into me every day. People brought AA meetings into my house. Um, my, my hospital room was you know, I had flowers everywhere. And again, it's not about what you're doing for me. At the same time, I'm not here. Well, I'm really sick. I, I really don't care how you are. And that may sound terrible, but at that moment in time, I just, I couldn't pick the telephone up. And um, I think most women could stand to be just a little bit more selfish. Now, 
we all know a woman. She popped into my head. I know one popped into yours who's like so selfish. You want to like stick a fork in her. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about regular women, you know, the many warriors and ninjas who we deal with all day, every day, who were bringing you meals and sending you flowers. I'm talking about them. We could all stand to be a little bit more selfish with our time and our space and kind of taking care of ourselves. So I don't, um, definitely to me, you don't have to apologize for saying, Hey, that you lost friends behind that. I'm interested to know that now that you're healthy and running all around, are they coming back? No, I certainly didn't have an illness like that, but I had major surgery. Um, gosh, almost about a year ago now. And leading up to it, I wasn't well for probably longer than I'll own, but let's say four months. I really wasn't myself. And I wasn't particularly fun sometimes. So I think while I certainly wouldn't wish that on others, and I'm glad I don't have to do it again, I do think things like that are sometimes a gift because they help me figure out how to like slim down my life. I mean, our lives can get too big. There's too many people. There's too many activities. We need to start saying no. You know, you can only invest so much time because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. So I think sometimes... Events like that, things that you go through help you figure out, oh, okay, see, that person's not worth my dollar. (laughs) So if I have $24 a day, I don't want to invest my dollar over there. Okay, now I can keep that dollar and spend it over there, right? Um, So nobody wants to go through that necessarily, but it does help, you know, helps your budget. So you're getting ready to do something amazing in a few weeks that I cannot even believe. I am yeah. uh, beyond impressed. I am <laughs> a huge sports center fan. I don't know why. I was never particularly elegant. I played field hockey because while it was a sport and I carried a stick, I wore a skirt. So, I mean, I was into the girlier skirts, but as I have grown, I love football, I love soccer, so I do understand that, like, as a, as a, a viewer, as a, um, an onlooker, as an audience member, I'm a great fan at like WNBA games, you know, I'm not playing them, I'm just on the sidelines hollering and carrying on, I'm great at that, but the actual participation in the physical activities, that's not necessarily my gift. But tell us, I'm just going to say the word (laughs) sexy and then hush so you can tell us what you're doing. (laughs) I am doing the Susan G. Komen three-day walk, which is 60 miles in three days on November 8th. So do you start in one state? I guess 60 miles doesn't cross a whole state. I'm like, if you have walked for 60 miles over three days, I think you should end up in like a different time zone or something. (laughs) I think that at the end of that. There needs to be something so, more than just, you know, 60 miles. I'm like, wow. So where is this happening? Um, it's in Arizona, and we used to start in Gilbert and end up in Phoenix. I used to live in Gilbert, you know. I know. Gilbert and Phoenix are 60 miles apart? Well, it goes through Phoenix, and it goes through Gilbert and Scottsdale and Tempe. It's the and- scenic route. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, and from one far end of Gilbert to the far end right. of Phoenix. Correct. Okay, because I was like, I don't think it ever took me an hour <laughs> to, to go from Gilbert to Phoenix, but I haven't lived there for a while, so maybe things are different. So you're walking yeah. for 60 miles. Do you know how many people are participating in that? Um, there's usually about, I want to say about 5,000 people. Have you done this more than once? Oh, no, this is my first time. 
Oh, well, you said it's usually, and I was like, oh, has she done this oh, before? No. no, but I mean, I, I just been checking, you know, investigating it and watching it. It's, okay. It's in a lot of, it's in a lot of the states. Wow. I don't know if they do that here, but I'm fascinated by it. So you leave on one day and you camp out. I have this wonderful visual of all these pink tents dotting the countryside where people are sleeping overnight. I just love that. You must take a picture and put that on Facebook. I will. Absolutely. So you walk for three days and then people sponsor you to raise money for treatment, awareness, research. What? Correct. All of that. Awesome. Yes. So I know that um, Michaela, my oldest niece, is participating in this with you, and you have a goal, the two of you on your team, to raise $4,600, and you are so far along. You've raised $3,500 already, so there's just 1100 to go. Now, when is the walk? November 8th. November 8th. I'm going to figure out if I can put some sort of a... Um, countdown timer on my site i think the technology exists i just don't know if i know how to do it but i bet somebody's going to contact me when they hear this and tell me they know how to do it i believe the universe is going to figure that out for me but we're going <laughs> to figure out how to have some sort of visual on the site that counts up to your 4600 and there is a link where folks um can support you i'm going to put that both in the show notes here and it will be on the website, but it's AllegraSinclair.com slash warrior. Again, that's AllegraSinclair.com slash warrior, W-A-R-R-I-O-R. And that will take us directly to the page where we can pledge support for you and Michaela for the Susan G. Komen three-day walk. Wow. So as you're doing this amazing three-day thing, how can we kind of follow along with your journey? I told you I'm a great fan. So I'm trying to figure out at what point do I yell, oh, ref, that was all ball. (laughs) I will be connected. Um, I'll have a a little thing on my shoe and it will track my miles and then... I'll be connected on Facebook. They will they will flash where how many miles I've gone. Okay. I did volunteer at the Susan G. Komen race that was in Raleigh earlier this year. And I know that folks had something. Um, I think it was attached to the number that they put on themselves. Yeah. That kind of tracked them when they began and ended. So I'm, uh, technology fascinates me. Cool? Yes, I love that, that it would be able to kind of tell us where you are and uh, how we're going. I love that. Yeah, it's very cool. So tell me, what are you doing now that you're on the other side of your journey to kind of support others or encourage others? What are you still doing in that cancer space? Because while we're talking about it, because it's October, Mm -hmm. um, breast cancer isn't any respecter of the calendar. (laughs) So um, tell me what kinds of things you do on a regular basis to help support other warriors in the journey. I'm a, I'm on a huge support group that's on Facebook and, um, well, it's, it's a private support group that actually one of my other breast cancer sisters started. We have over 110 women on there, which I guess is good and bad because that means 110 women have breast cancer. Um, and are these all like local Phoenix folks? No, mostly, oh. mostly local Phoenix, but we do have about 12 women that are out of state. They're kind of just scattered all over the U.S., Okay. And, um, I offer, I definitely offer them any kind of support they need. Um, I bring meals to women that are going through chemo or going through treatment, go and sit with them, go and talk with them. 
um, try to educate any way that I can, you know, from my own experience. Of course, I don't know anything medically. I don't offer any kind of medical advice being that I don't have medical advice. I can only offer my own experience. Um, I did start school about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm studying nutrition sciences. Nice. Is that related to your illness or were you always interested in that, but now you have the courage to do it? I've never been interested in nutrition until I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and really always hated school. So the two, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and I've been on the Dean's list a few times and which is amazing because I was a high school and yeah, Wow. And so I've got about another year till I have my bachelor's degree. Awesome. Yeah. So my goal is to um, work with cancer patients um, to get them on appropriate diets to better their health. And, um, and we'll see where the universe takes me with that one. It may go somewhere completely different. I don't know. But that's where I want to go. I, I, I shuffle back and forth between cancer and just working with women to help them eat proper diets instead of eating for their feelings. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so when you get ready, we'll definitely have to have that conversation. (laughs) Today, we're all about the boobies. But I love um, that someone who I love is about to have that information, like documented and everything, to share. And if you're going to be offering all sorts of nutrition coaching, then I'm just putting myself on the list right now to get some (laughs) of it. Was there anything else that you wanted to share, Kelly, that I didn't give you a chance to share? Um, for sure, to all the women listening, make sure you have your mammograms and or self-breast examinations. Make sure you feel your breasts. It's okay to feel them. <laughs> <laughs> someone else feel them. That's true. If it weirds you out, you could have someone else do it. That's but right. that could weird you out on a whole different level. But. It might weird you out on a whole different level. But I know that a lot of husbands have found breast cancer in their wives. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And early, early detection saves lives. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, not just for being here tonight, but for being who you are all the time. I have thoroughly enjoyed being able to share my Kelly with my listeners. Stay tuned uh, for more information about a new resource I'm going to have available later this week about uh, limited beliefs. I'm turning that on its head and we're talking about unlimited beliefs, how you get them and how you keep them. Until next time, have a powerful day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. You can find show notes and more great content on the blog at allegrasinclair.com.